Welcome to New Cities Sermon Podcast. Join us as we root deep in God's Word, expecting to be encouraged, challenged, and formed to be more like Jesus together. Let's get into the scriptures now. We are continuing our series uh, called That They May Be One, where we're talking about relationships and marriage and sex, and worship, and so far we've covered most of those things. Last week we covered sex and sexuality, a good good topic to get into. Someone said they'd never heard a sermon about sexuality at a church. I don't know why we don't talk about it more. We hear about it so much uh, out there. Why don't we talk about it in here? And the Bible's full of um, words about sexuality, so something we have to talk to. But um, today we're talking about this. We're going to be talking about singleness and the good life, singleness, and the good life. We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 7, 24 through 40, but I want to start off by praying. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask that your spirit would be with us, that you would help us, that you would encourage us, that you would show us more of who you are. Maybe we're here today and we're single. Maybe we're here today and we're married. Maybe we're widowed. Maybe we're divorced. Whatever our relationship status is, I believe that you want to speak to us through your word. And so we pray that you would encourage us and you would shape us. You would help us to love the things that you love and hate the things that you hate. That you would help us to think differently and act differently and know your love for us in the deepest part of who we are. And all God's people said, amen. 1 Corinthians 7, 24 Through 40, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and he's talking about changes of status. And he says this, Brothers and sisters, each person is to remain with God in the situation in which he was called. And then he says in verse 25, Now about virgins, that's his way of saying unwed women. Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I do give an opinion as one who by the Lord's mercy is faithful. Because of the present distress, I think it is good for a man to remain as he is. That means to remain unmarried. But are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. However, if you do get married, you've not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But such people will have trouble in this life, and I'm trying to spare you. This is what I mean, brothers and sisters, that the time is limited. So from now on, those who have wives should be as though they had none, and those who weep as though they did not weep, and those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, and those who buy as though they didn't own anything, and those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it. For this world in its current form is passing away. I I want you to be without concerns. The unmarried man is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But the married man is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. The unmarried woman or the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord so that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But the married woman is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. I am saying this for your benefit, not to put a restraint on you, but to promote what is proper and so that you may be devoted to the Lord without distraction. If any man thinks he is acting improperly towards the virgin he is engaged to, if she is getting beyond the usual age for marriage and how 
and he feels he should marry her, he can do what he wants. He's not, he's not sinning. They can get married. But he who stands firm in his heart, who is under no compulsion, but has control over his own will, and has decided in his heart to keep her as his fiance, will do well. So then he who marries his fiance does well, but he who does not marry will do better. A wife is bound as long as her husband is living, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to anyone she wants, only in the Lord. But she is happier if she remains as she is, in my opinion. And I think that I also have the Spirit of God. The Word of God. We watch a lot of Disney movies in our house um, as a dad with three kids, but I'm not allowed to sing along with any of them because my voice, there's, well, there's a reason why I'm not on the worship team. None of you would worship if I got behind a microphone, but, you know, it's interesting. There's a general kind of storyline to a lot of Disney stories, and um, I think the, the, the TV show or the, sorry, the movie Aladdin really captures a lot of those Disney movies and what the, the stories that are about behind those movies. In fact, I think we have a picture of one of the, uh, the stories from Aladdin. There's a, probably one of the most famous songs from Aladdin is this one that says, A Whole New World. And in that, Aladdin is taking Jasmine and, and taking her beyond what she's ever known. He's taking her on this magic carpet ride to show her what the world is really like and how she can sort of break free from the confines of the life that she had and, and enter into this whole new world. And they sing together. I won't sing, I'll just read. But he says, I can show you the world, shining, shimmering, splendid. Tell me, princess, now when did you last let your heart decide? In other words, when did you get to do what you wanted to do? I can open your eyes, take you wonder by wonder, over sideways and under on a magic carpet ride. And then she sings, a whole new world, a hundred thousand things to see. I'm like a shooting star. I've come so far, I can't go back to where I used to be. I can't go back to where I used to be. I think a lot of the Disney stories are about getting out of something and getting into this whole new world, whether you talk about The Little Mermaid or Aladdin, it's kind of the same storyline, very similar. But I think that storyline is something that we've kind of adopted the script from in our own culture. Uh, we think about getting out of a certain life stage and getting into a, a different stage. In fact, kind of like Jasmine, we might feel like we're trapped in something and that we want to get to the next stage because in that next stage is a whole new world. It's freedom. It, it's happiness. It's the good life. And that idea of getting out of something and getting into the next stage can really capture our imagination, that idea of a change of status. Once I get that promotion, it will be a whole new world. Once I get the bigger house or the bigger car or the more whatever, I will be living the good life. Or this, once my relationship status changes, once I get into that relationship you know, as Jasmine says, I'll, I'll experience the real wonder of the world. I can't go back to the status I was in. See, here's the challenge, though. It's not that any of those things are bad. In fact, that's what Paul's getting at in his text here that he writes, that change is okay. 
But one of the things that can happen to our heart is we begin to attach the good life to that change of status. In other words, life really starts when I get out of this situation and when I get into that whole new world, that other status, that other situation. And it's not that those changes are bad, it's just that those changes can kind of capture us and become the song of our heart and really grab our greatest love and our deepest affection. And we can live as if everything depends on getting that change, living the good life as we imagine, getting into that whole new world. But what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7 is, is that the good life isn't about getting to the next stage or to the change of status. Rather, the good life comes by cultivating Christ in the season that we're currently in. It's not about getting to the next stage or the next status, but rather cultivating Christ in the season of life that we're in. And he applies that specifically to singleness. And so tonight, we're going to talk a little bit about singleness and the good life. And there's three things I want to look at from this text. The first is singleness and the good life and what it has to do with calling. The second thing is singleness and the good life and change. And then the third thing is singleness and the good life in Christ. So let's start with calling. Calling and the good life. When we think about calling, particularly as Christians, we tend to think about this internal sense of where God is drawing me. I'm going to do something. I'm going to change something. I'm going to accomplish something because God has put it on my heart. And now that's part of calling. It is an internal feeling and an internal desire, but that's not what Paul means in this passage when he says calling. In verse 17 and verse 24, he says, let each one live his life in the situation the Lord assigned when God called him. Brothers and sisters, each person is to remain with God in the situation in which he was called. So, so Paul's first of all saying that calling isn't subjective, it's very objective. First of all, calling is that Jesus Christ has called you to God out of your sin, out of your unrighteousness, into a relationship where all your sins are forgiven, where you become a child of God, where you are filled with the Holy Spirit, and where Jesus will never leave you and he'll never forsake you. That is first and foremost your first calling. But, but, then, but then he says this, he says, but part of that calling is that you might have been called while you're walking in a particular lane, and it's okay to stay in that lane and keep walking with God. You don't necessarily have to change lanes in order to be a more spiritual Christian. God is aware of your life, and it's okay to stay in the lane you're in. So another way to say that is calling in this passage is more about your current situation than it is the sense of where you want to be. It's less about the situation you want to be in and more about the situation God has you in. Now, now don't throw anything at me yet. I, you, you, I can tell that you're kind of going, wait, where is he going with this? L let me get through the whole passage. So, so here's the thing. When you become a, a, a Christian... Let's say that you're married and your spouse is not a Christian and you say, well, I'm a Christian now and I want my spouse to be a Christian and they're not becoming a Christian, so I want to marry someone that's a Christian. God says, stay in your lane. 
You're a Christian now, and your spouse isn't a Christian, but walk in that life. You are called to walk as a Christian, even though your spouse is not a Christian. In this same passage, there were people who were Jewish, but because it was advantageous to appear as a Gentile, they wanted to get circumcised. And Paul earlier in this passage says, hey, listen, if you're called as a Jewish person, walk in your culture. The gospel transcends culture, so you don't have to change your status and become like a Gentile. Similarly, if you're single and you get married and you get, become a Christian, you don't have to rush to the aisle to find a Christian spouse. The calling isn't so much about an internal feeling as it is a calling to relationship with God and then a calling to walk in the lane that you're in when God calls you. So Preston Sprinkle says it real plainly. He says this, how do you know if you're called to singleness? You know because you're single. It's like that, it's that plain. It's the lane you're in. Now again, don't throw stuff at me yet. We'll, we'll, we'll process this out. Because calling can be seasonal, right? Calling can be for a season. You're called to walk in a season of singleness. But it can be dangerous if we say to God, I'm not going to walk in the season that you've called me in. Like, I'm going to change things before you change things. See, part of us learning, whether it's single or whether we're married or whatever situation we're in, is learning how to explore the good life that God has for us in the season that we're currently in. The good life is found in cultivating in your calling not necessarily somewhere else. So if, if you're single, it's really important that you cultivate a proper view of yourself in this season of singleness. And what I mean by that is, first of all, you're not half a human being. If you're single, you're not half a human being. You're a full person made in the image of God. You do not need another person to complete you. Secondly, um, in the church, you're not just someone awaiting processing. One author said that many times single people in the church feel like, hey, we're just sort of hanging around and all the married people treat us like we're awaiting processing. That's not who you are. If you're a single person, you are a full-fledged member of the body of Christ. Your status in the body does not depend on whether you're male or female whether you're Jew or Greek, whether you're rich or poor, whether you're married or whether you're single. Part of understanding the good life is cultivating your view of yourself, but then also cultivating service. Paul does say that for people who are single, there is an opportunity in that season to serve the body of Christ with a greater flexibility and a greater responsiveness to other people's needs. In verse 32 through 34, he says, I want you to be without concerns. The unmarried man is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But the married man is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. The unmarried woman or the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, so that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But the unmarried woman is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. 
Now, Paul is not saying that when you're, um, when you're a believer, it's less holy to care about what your wife thinks. It's less holy to serve your wife. No, what he's saying is uh, there's a temporal relationship that here that we have on earth. You won't be married forever. And so when you are married, your focus is on one particular person. When you're not married, you have the opportunity to focus on a group of people and meet their needs. You have a greater flexibility and responsiveness in your singleness. Now, I I get it. There was a season where I was ready to be married and I wasn't. And some of you go, well, I understand that I am in a season of singleness, but God, I do not want to be in that season right now. And you look at me and say, Pastor John, is it okay to feel that way? Yes, it's okay to feel that way. It's okay to be in a season that you don't want to be in. It's okay to be called to a calling that you're not feeling at the moment. But here's the caution. Can you learn to be content in the midst of that season that you don't want to be in? Because if you can't learn contentment, what would begin to take over your heart is desperation and frustration. And that can be dangerous in seasons of singleness. It can be dangerous because you will be tempted to settle in who you pick for, who you pick. You might settle in terms of the other person's character. Like, you see that, I mean, we're all sinners, but like, there's something missing in who they are. And you might overlook that. And you might overlook some immaturity because you're settling and you're so desperate and you're so frustrated. Or, or you might be settling in terms of chemistry. Like other people might look at the two of you and be like, that's not a good match. Uh, But because you're desperate, because you want it, because you're not willing to walk in the lane that God's given you for a time, you might settle for something where there's no chemistry or there's no compatibility. Or I've seen this before too. People are willing to settle for someone without Christ. In verse 39, Paul says, a wife is bound as long as her husband is living. But if her husband dies, she's free to marry anyone she wants. Notice how, how much freedom there is there. Like, she can pick another spouse only in the Lord. That's like what Paul's one requirement. Marry someone who loves Jesus. Marry someone who knows Jesus Christ. And the temptation, if you're frustrated, if, if you're desperate, is that you will settle for someone who doesn't know Christ. And when that happens, it can be too easy just to compromise your faith. A lot of people get in relationship statuses of it's complicated. It's complicated because they settle in some area, because they settle in some area. And it can be super easy, especially in our cultural moment, to just say, you know what, Um, part of the relationship process in our culture right now is just moving in and living together before marriage, and no one really cares, so why not do that as well? In fact, that's so pervasive. I actually had someone ask me about six months ago. They said, how long did you and Virginia live together before you got married? And like, they just didn't know that they're not supposed to ask me that question. And I just said, well, we actually didn't live together before we got married. And they're like, oh, that's interesting. You know, like they, they had no moral category for that. But in our culture, that's really the norm now, is sort of moving in together. In fact, it's seen as wisdom 
to, live, to move in together and live together to check out your compatibility. But here's the thing. Studies show that that's actually not healthy. There was a 2000 study by Schoen, Landale, and Daniels that said when people move in together, when they cohabitate before marriage, only one in five of those relationships actually leads to marriage. There was another study by Regenerus and Euchre, and they said that cohabitating before marriage significantly increases the chance of divorce. Isn't that interesting? Because we think about it, and we're like, well, if you live together and you get to know someone really well, it'll work out better long term. But the studies show the exact opposite is true. In fact, a lot of times people are like, we need to make sure that we're sexually compatible before we get married. But this same same study showed that the more that people have sex before marriage, it actually decreases their sexual satisfaction in marriage. So people move in together going, we got to find out if we're sexually compatible. And in the weird scheme of things, that actually decreases their sexual compatibility. So we are tempted, we can be tempted in these seasons to compromise. And there's a reason why God has called us to walk in this lane, to walk in these seasons, whether that season be singleness or something that we don't necessarily enjoy. We're called to embrace the calling God has for us in this season, even if we don't like it. And I think that should be true for all of us. I think that as a church, maybe we could do a better job of walking with people who are in a season of singleness, even if that's not the season we find ourselves in. What I'm saying is I think, I think married couples, we have a responsibility to walk with our single friends here in the church and not just use them for babysitting, but actually to welcome them in our homes as part of our family, to embrace them. You know, in the church, it's kind of traditional to split everybody up. And there's something good about that, right? Like married people, they go to the couples workshops. And we had the singles over at our house last week. And there's something wonderful about that because we all get to talk about uh, a life stage that is applicable to certain people. But in general, we should all be blending together. In fact, think about this. If the singles ministry was siphoned off, do you know who would be part of that singles ministry? Well, Paul, who writes this passage. John the Baptist, he'd be in the singles ministry. Jesus himself. Jesus would be in the singles ministry. Uh, Friends, we have to think more broadly about walking with those who are single and actually saying we need them in our lives. I can't remember if it was last week or two weeks ago, but we had the singles over um, to our house and we had a great time. It was so fun. I've got a picture of um, Keith up here. There's Keith. And what I, what I loved about Keith was he, um, he said to my kids, let's draw a picture of me and not me, but Keith. And so they tried to draw a picture of Keith and uh, Keith has excellent dad jokes, by the way, which, uh, you know, I love as well. But, um, Then my kids got to sit down with the singles in our church and just listen to them talk. And I thought, I cannot pay enough money for this experience for them. 
the fact that they get to sit around and listen to people who are single, who they look up to, who are trying to follow Jesus, that is invaluable to me. That these people would be willing to come into my home and influence my kids for Christ because they don't think I'm cool anymore. My kids do not think I'm cool anymore. But, but they were able to influence um, my kids. And so I, I think there's something beautiful there. The, the second thing that I'm really thankful for with our singles is they tend to be more in tune to the culture than married people are. They just, they just are. They have, a, they, have a, they have a pulse on that. And so there's oftentimes where I ask people in our church, like, what does this mean or what's going on here? And then I'm able to think about it and interpret that for you as, as your pastor. But then thirdly, I mean, we really as a community just need each other. Single people need married people. Married people need single people. Now, here's the good news. If you're single and you have the opportunity to get married, uh, change isn't bad. Let's talk about change in the good life. In verse 36, Paul says, if any man thinks he is acting improperly towards the virgin he is engaged to, if she is getting beyond the the usual age for marriage and he feels he should marry her, he can do what he wants. He's not sinning, then get married. Now, in, in this culture, people were arranged in marriage for a very long time. And so you could delay that marriage or you could speed up that marriage. And Paul says, look, use your best judgment. If you're betrothed to someone, if you're engaged to someone, and you want to get married, go ahead and get married. It's okay to change your status. But realize this, that any change you make in life will bring challenges. We tend to think any change we make in life will bring the good life, but Paul says any change you make will bring fresh and new challenges. Verse 28, he says, such people have not sinned, but you will have trouble in this life, and I'm trying to spare you. What is Paul talking about there? I think think in the context of what is happening in Corinth, there was actually a, a famine going on at that time. And so food was at a shortage. And it was trying enough to try to feed yourself. But then to get married and try and be responsible to feed another human being and start a family and feed all those little mouths, you were adding to your own personal challenges. And Paul's saying, in light of that, it might be best not to marry in this particular season. Every change has challenges. And if you're here today and you're single, maybe our challenges aren't famine. But if you do get married, I just want to tell you and be honest with you, marriage does bring fresh challenges. We tend to think that once we get married, companionship is heavenly. And we always get along. But there are times in marriage when loneliness can feel deeper because you're not getting along with the person you're supposed to be closest to. There actually are times in family where you're longing to be alone because people won't stop bothering you. There are new challenges. And even, I know a lot of times when we talk about singleness and marriage, the idea is, well, once we get married, like then we can enter into sexual relationship and that will be so fulfilling. And it is. And yet at the same time, it's incredibly difficult. It's incredibly challenging in that aspect of our relationship. I remember one woman was saying that she had sort of been influenced by the culture and the movies about about sexuality. And she thought 
Like once she got married, it would just be simultaneous orgasms all the time. And I'm just being honest with you. And she, but she said it was like yelling and slamming doors because they were just not getting along and there was miscommunications and they had to really work at this aspect of the relationship that we call sexuality. And so any change that you have in your status is going to bring, bring new challenges. And that's why whatever stage we're in and the longings that we have, Maybe you're single and you want to be married. Maybe you're, you're married and you're longing for just a little bit of space. Or, or maybe you've lost that person and you're longing just to see them one more time. That longing that we have really reminds us that the greatest relationship we have is with Christ. Christ is the good life. Knowing him opens up a whole new world for you and for me. Most of us fundamentally think that if we obey Jesus, he will give us the life we want. But that's not how it works at all. Um, if, if I obey Jesus, we think of him as like this candy machine where I pop a quarter in and he gives me what I want. I think that's one of the challenges with this idea of purity culture. If you've heard that term, purity culture says, like, if you stay absolutely sexually pure, then you're going to have the best marriage and sexual relationship ever. Now, there is some truth to that. There's some wisdom in saving yourself for marriage. That is God's design. But we twist that and go, God, if I live this way, then you owe me. And that's not how it works. That's not how it works. See, we think of the good life as something that Christ could give us rather than relationship with Christ himself. We obey not because we want Jesus to give us something, but because Jesus gives us himself. Christ is the good life. He's the source of life. N.T. Wright says this, there will never be a time when Christians can settle down and treat the world as though it's going to last forever. We will always have challenges in this life. We will always find things that are somewhat fulfilling and longings for something else. And that's why our relationship with Christ has to be front and center because he is the only one who can satisfy. In fact, Paul says it this way. He says it so staunchly. He says, this is what I mean, brothers and sisters. The time is limited. So from now on, those who have wives should be as if they had none. And those who weep as as though they did not weep. And those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. And those who buy as as they didn't own anything. And those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it. For the world in its current form is passing away. Now, now Paul isn't saying, um, if you're married, Jesus is coming back, so just ignore your wife and look to the skies and wait for him to come. That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying we can get so settled in the things of this world that we forget that Christ is going to return and make all things new. That Christ is going to banish pain and sin and loneliness and shame forever. And you will live in a world of complete relational fulfillment and healing. When Jesus returns and we see him face to face and he wipes away every tear from our eyes, 
and he brings a whole new world. When the new heavens and the new earth come and we sit on, before the face of God together. In, in fact, marriage is just supposed to be a picture that points us to that. Marriage is supposed to remind us of the deep intimacy that one day we will have with Jesus Christ when we see him face to face. And we are full of joy and love and fulfillment and affection. So as you walk through this life and you think about a status change, maybe it's singleness to married, maybe it's something else. There's nothing wrong with that. At the same time, realize that the deepest thing that can happen to you isn't a status change, but rather a relationship with Jesus Christ and knowing him and walking with him and longing for the day when you will see him face to face. In fact, the language that is used to describe us seeing Jesus is almost like a, it's like a wedding ceremony. He's waiting for us to shed his affection on forever. And when you walk with that in your heart, everything else in this life, it matters just a little bit less. It's not that it's not important, but rather we know there is a fulfillment that is coming that is unavoidable for the Christian, that one day, we will experience love and joy and harmony together with Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you for joining with us as we rooted deep in God's word. If you found this sermon encouraging, share it with a friend. You can learn more about New City by going to newcityhh.com or checking us out on social media by searching New City HH. We'll see you next week.